todo el mundo. Was really... 1881. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the film The Ventures Stars on Guitars. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And now, on to the show. Fans of hard rock and metal will know the name Kelly Garney as a co-founding member of Quiet Riot. A California kid, he formed the group with his best friend Randy Rhodes and played on their first two albums in the late 1970s. He is also an author and photographer. His first book, Angels with Dirty Faces, is a memoir, and his latest, Naked Vegas, is full of photos and Kelly's observations on Sin City and its inhabitants. I'm really looking forward to talking with him, so let's get him on the line. Hi, and welcome to the show, Kelly. Hi, Stacey. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really glad that you're here today to talk with me. Uh, You have a few new uh, things going on that I want to tell people about. Um, You have sampled a number of professions over the years, and I remember reading in your memoir about how your dad was always trying new things and, you know, moving around a lot. And as a kid, did you feel that like a, a lack of stability or do you think it helped set you on your own path of creative curiosity? Well, um, you know, for me and my brother, uh, we were always moving. So, uh, I mean, we, we moved clear to Alaska one time. Wow. He decided he was going to be a banker, or actually he was a banker somewhere in Nevada. And he must have screwed up or something because they transferred him to this very, very, very remote place in Alaska. And he hauled all of us up there, and, the, and it was dirt roads to get there to Canada through Canada. And um, so, you know, so that was an okay experience living up there, and then we moved somewhere else and somewhere else. I, there was no sense of stability because I, I didn't really know what it was yet, and I never did growing up. So um, I think it, it definitely influenced me to always keep my eyes and and uh, ears open for a new door opening, which is basically what my dad did. I think that's a great life skill to have. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's helped me a lot. You know, I've really flip-flopped. Uh, I mean, I went from, from being uh, in, in Quiet Riot and 
within a year, I was working in the back of an ambulance. And <laughs> that is wild. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, when you first started playing bass and when you um, formed Quiet Riot, who were some of your musical influences and, uh, you know, what were your hopes for the band? Um, well, initially, when me and Randy started, I had guys I listened to uh, for the music of the day. We're talking, you know, 1971, 72, 73. Mm-hmm. You know, I was listening to guys like Jack Bruce and John Entwistle uh, were my two favorites. And um, and I tried to play a lot like them. And they were very busy bass players. And then I had Randy teaching me, and, who's obviously a guitar player. And um, I kind of picked up a lot of his guitar riffs and stuff like that and, and improvised them into bass. And that was actually the wrong thing to do to be a good bass player, but it worked for us at the time. And then the whole thing led to, you know, Quiet Riot being formed when I was 15 years old. And of course, you know, I wanted to be a rock star. I, I was dreaming of all kinds of strange things, having velvet suits. Uh, uh, sure. Using cocaine bottles and... Um, you know, and I wanted a big room in my house to have a bunch of pet penguins, so. <laughs> wow. Well, that is very specific dreaming there, <laughs> Kelly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, as someone who also came in age of, you know, in Hollywood on the Sunset Strip, um, reading your memoir was a great trip down memory lane and just the clubs alone, like the Rainbow and the Starwood and Gazaris and the Troubadour, um, even though some of them are still there, it was really a different vibe in the 70s and 80s. So can you kind of take us back in time and describe a little bit about what it felt like as an up-and-coming musician to play and party in those clubs? Oh, yeah. It 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 started um, when we were quite young, well, well before uh, Quiet Riot was ever formed. I'd say we were 13, 14 years old. And... Randy had a girlfriend that was uh, a year older, and she was uh, she used to read this magazine called Star Magazine that was around back in those days. And it was, I sh yes, I have seen it. It is a very racy magazine yeah. for young aspiring groupies, right? Yes. It was basically a groupie magazine. It was great. <laughs> it is. Um, we loved it. And and the whole thing was like all these girls, oh, we're all going to Rodney's to hang out. And, and I'm thinking, we need to be at Rodney's. And so we went to Rodney. And this is Rodney Bingenheimer's English Disco. Very, yes. Mm -hmm. That's very, where very I think cool, the Runaways fancy. kind of formed too, right? Was Didn't um, Kim Fowley find the Runaways there? Because it was kind and of a teenage all club. All was going on. Kim was around a real lot. And uh, Rodney was just the greatest human being, particularly to me and Randy. And uh, I have friends I made in that club that I still talk to. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, once we got into that place, we were just a couple of kids growing up in nice, comfy, white bread Burbank. And we got into Rodney's and it was a whole different world for us, you know okay, well, we didn't have to ask any adults to buy us any beer. We just walked up to the bar and ordered what we want. <laughs> wow. And they gave it to you. It didn't matter if you were a kid or not. And and that's kind of a weird thing that 
I saw and experienced quite a bit in Hollywood. Uh, in fact, uh, the first time Quiet Riot played at the Starwood, uh, Kevin DeBrow was the oldest member of the band and he was 19. Our pay was a case of beer. Huh. Wow. He wasn't even, we weren't even old enough to, <laughs> to enjoy our pay. <laughs> I, that sounds like he negotiated that deal. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, uh, but it was a different vibe. It was really, really different. The seventies overall, you know, were a great decade and a decade with a lot of changes but the beginning of the 70s, you know, fresh out of the hippie era, mm -hmm. it was sort of a, well, where do we go now kind of a thing for all the young kids. And for us, the answer was at Rodney's and then eventually uh, at the Starwood, the Whiskey, and, uh, and the Troubadour a bit. We played at the Troubadour a lot, but it wasn't somewhere we hung out. I don't think a lot of people realize that in the 1970s, Music was the number one selling form of entertainment. I believe albums sold more than all the movies combined, um, all the books combined, all the plays, live plays. I mean, music was it. And to be a rock star was the ultimate dream. And it seems like that's what you and Randy Rhodes and Kevin and, you know, like all of your circle felt. Uh, do, do you think you were influenced by that, the glamour of being a rock star? Oh, absolutely. Who didn't want to be a rock star? You know, even today, you know, there's like old guys driving tractors in Iowa and they're going, man, I wish I was a rock star. <laughs> I think that quite often myself, but <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. yourself, I'm an author. And so, uh, <laughs> but yeah. that's, it has its own form of glamour. In fact, your new book, Naked Vegas, which I do want to talk about, it isn't just pictures. I mean, there's a great deal of text to go with it, which really gives kind of a clearer portrait of yourself and your models. So what was the impetus of putting that book together now? Um, you know, I've wanted to do that book for a very, very long time. And uh, particularly after I released my first book. And um, well, I've been thinking and thinking about doing this, this book and and then COVID happened and it was like, okay, well now there's nothing to do. And my wife suggested, why don't you finally write that book you want to write? And I go, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. So I set about working on that, which had to do with, you know, culling through uh, a zillion photos that I have and picking out what would work. And, uh, and then, you know, the story part was actually easy because just like I did in Angels with Dirty Faces, I just wrote about what happened. And what happened to me was just kind of a fluke. It was, it was a, a strange fluke that lasted 20 years. And, uh, you know, it was really easily, for me, one of the greatest things I've ever done. It, it was great being in Quiet Riot. Uh, I put a... a I give Ambulance a lot of uh, readings, too, for being an, an amazing experience. You want to learn some about life. Go work there for 10 years in L.A. Mm -hmm. And you will know and see things after that that will never leave you. So the photography was, you know, it was uh, something that 
I could see me really ending up liking to do. But it was just so frustrating at first because I didn't know what I was doing. So I'm, it's a good thing I'm a good reader and a good learner. And that's basically what happened was I just educated myself. And probably if I were to give any advice to a new photographer, I'd say shoot, shoot, shoot. Just keep shooting. And you're going to learn the most from your mistakes. And that was kind of how I learned. Once it totally took off, which was very strange thing to happen yeah. because you know i freely admit i got into photography just to meet girls that was it was my opening line that, that was my my thing I, uh -huh. I to try to you know break the ice and it worked so good that it, it turned itself into a business so yeah it that's what the story's about and throughout you know the adventures I have in the book, um, you know, which included, you know, being pretty much the premier escort photographer in Las Vegas. I did all of them, all of them. I mean, there's not billboards driving up and down the strip with, with you know, phone numbers for these places for no reason. And it was, again, a unique time in, um, in Las Vegas, the 90s, you know, the mega resort area. All these hotels were getting built and it was creating all kinds of needs for all kinds of everything. I just was in the right place at the right time and it turned out really good. I was fortunate enough that it led me on a path in a very, very artistic uh, vein that uh, really struck a chord with me. And that has just become totally electrified as a result, you know, not only of the book, but um, just from the whole experience of being right I mean you're working with other people and you're experiencing that their lives through your lens but it's not all just sexy there are also wedding parties and group shots and band photos exotic animals um, so you mention art and also in the book um, what in your opinion separates a good just a good photograph from an artful one there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that can make a difference. Number one, I'd say, is your execution of the shot. What did you do to make this shot look so good? Did you choose the right model? Did you did you put her in the right pose? Uh, and just for reasons of simplicity, I'm talking about you know, nude photos because that's what the art stuff is about, at least in my book. Um, but uh, you know, does she have the right hair for this shot? And then it's like, okay, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? Is mm -hmm. it going to be cold? Is it going to be windy? And you take all these things into consideration in the model's pose. And if you put all that thought into something, then it's art. Now, what got me into this whole art thing was being told that I was doing art accidentally. And <laughs> accidental art, yeah. Well, I guess it's a real thing. I was just already doing it and I wasn't really trying to be an artist. So when somebody uh, proposed that phrase to me, said I was doing it, I said, well, I wonder what will happen if I actually try to do it. And then that's when things really got fun and enjoyable for me and I found the love of art there. 
Well, I love the photos that you took. It looks like they're in uh, Valley of Fire State Park. I shot everywhere. I shot Red Rock. I shot Valley of Fire. Um, Death Valley is one of my most favorite places to shoot. I've shot all over Death Valley. Um, a lot of dry lake beds. I live out here in Boulder City, and we used to have an amazing lake bed out here that they've managed to cover with solar panels now. The book really has turned out beautifully and really well laid, laid out. Um, that's an art in and of itself. Who did your book layout? Uh, Marcy Johnson uh, Branding is the name of her company. Marcy is a huge talent. I've known her for years. I met her in a really weird way up in Pioche, Nevada, uh, mostly because uh, I moved up there because of the art that I'm currently doing. And... Um, so I was up there and I owned a restaurant that gained some uh, notoriety for the area for, for being sort of a off the, off the beaten path kind of a place that actually had good food. Uh, my parents eventually went into the restaurant business and when I was about eight years old and settled down. And so I basically grew up in the restaurant business. I was living up there and I worked a lot with the Nevada State Bureau of Tourism, and they put together these uh, photo things. They get a super nice luxury bus. They load all these people on it who sign up for these things, and they call them photo excursions. And they go out all day, and they go to all these off-the-wall weird places. And, and there's usually like 25 people. Uh, some, many are from other countries, and they'll go and photograph interesting things. Well. They all came to my restaurant and I fed them. And uh, afterwards they did a photo shoot. My restaurant was located in what used to be an old blacksmith shop. And it was built in uh, 1865. And I had restored the building and put a restaurant in there. It was, uh, it was a pretty cool place. And um, so they, you know, they, they did all these shots of things in my house or my restaurant down the street. It was, a, it was a really interesting town. You should go there sometimes. supposed to be very haunted. I think you like haunted things, don't you? Sounds interesting. You, you kind of like haunted things, don't you? Sure. Yeah. Well, now, yeah. yeah, that sounds great. Then, yeah, you should go there. Um, but uh, Marcy happened to be one of the photographers, and the thing she wanted to photograph was me. And she did this really great shot on me. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, this girl's great. She could make me look back. And we became really good friends. And then when it came to the book, she was, she was who I wanted to do uh, the work on. So she's fantastic. Marcy Johnson Brandon. Well, you touched on the fact that you have a new endeavor, um, found art. So I think most people probably know what that means. But can you elaborate a little bit and tell me how you got interested in making that your next act? Sure. Uh, you know, when I was taking all, doing all these art shots and taking these models out to old mines and, and other remote places in the desert, I would always see interesting things on the ground. I started, I'd pick them up every now and then just because I thought, well, that's an unusual thing. It's very old, you know, it shouldn't be laying out here in the desert. Somebody should take it home, clean it up, put it on the shelf. What is that thing? That's kind of where it started there. And then there was these sheets of steel that used to be roofs and walls and 
Jared, they come in all sizes. They can come up to, to nine feet long. And uh, so I started using making canvases out of them. I flatten them out with a special technology called uh, two by four in a car or a, a, ply, a sheet of plywood in a car. I just run over them a bunch of times and I flatten them right out. So then from there, I cut them to size and then I can either put photos, which I first started out doing on these sheets of steel, and they looked really great. I mean, they sold really good, and, and people were like, wow, that's interesting, because this steel's 100 years old, so that was always part of the sales pitch. Oh, yeah, a vintage item. Yeah. Eventually, after photography, not to where it didn't matter if you knew what you were doing or not, I didn't want to do it anymore. So then I started thinking, well, you know, these odd pieces of metal I find on the ground would look good on that steel. So after a lot of trial and error, coming up with a gluing process that would make them not ever fall off, I started doing what I call drawing on them. And I made uh, shapes, and currently I've been making lots of clocks. Do you sell these online, or do you have a place people can come to look at the artwork and buy it, or how does that work? I sell them online, and then uh, I'll do art shows at various galleries. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And I'll throw in a book signing at the same time. It works really well. The, the art I create and then the, the books that I sell, uh, I usually have a pretty good night if I do an art show. It's time for my standard closing question, and I think you know what that is. What is your own personal rock and roll nightmare? Sadly, all mine are true. Ah. Okay, well... It actually happened on ambulance. You know, here I was coming from, from being on stages in front of lots of people and performing, going to working in to the back of an ambulance. Uh -huh. I, I found out that sometimes working ambulance is a lot like being on stage. Let's say you have a nice big wreck in the street. That generally draws a crowd and it generally I'm called to go to these things. So, so now I show up and now we're the stars of the show. So you're sitting there in the middle of the street working on these people and you have this big crowd around you. That happened several times and that thought occurred to me. You kind of felt like it was almost like a Twilight Zone experience of being on stage? It was because, you know, they'd still allow traffic to sort of pass by if they were able you know, and invariably somebody would come by blasting some music. So I'm working away and I'm like, oh, I know that song. Or a lot of times it was like, oh, yeah, I know those guys. I hope it never happens and they're playing my song. Be the last song someone ever hears. Yeah, that too. And um, so it, it eventually did. I was just really struck by the surrealness of it. I was like, wow, I'm on the radio. I was in a rock band and now I'm here. And I'm still on stage because look at all these people. Well, you talk about some of your other rock and roll nightmares in your memoir, Angels with Dirty Faces, that I highly recommend to anyone who loves uh, coming of age stories, uh, stories about vintage L.A., of course, Quiet Riot, Randy Rhodes. That's a great book. Um, but I also want you to let everyone know where they can get Naked Vegas and where they can find you online and to follow all of your upcoming adventures sure i mean it is available on amazon uh if you uh just look it up naked vegas kelly garney g-a-r-n-i the other way that you can go is go to kellygarney.com 
again, K-E-L-L-Y-G-A-R-N-I.com. There's a contact form on there. If you order them through me, uh, you get them signed. That's fantastic. In fact, I have my own signed copy that I will treasure. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. And I, you know, next time you have something new coming up, let me know. I'd love to talk to you again. Since we started this uh, process of getting this interview together, uh, my wife, you know, we, we check out everybody I have to deal with. And, and we did a lot of checking on you and we were very impressed. As I told you when I first you know, had contact with you. I said, wow, it really looks like you do some stuff. But in studying, you know, who you are, we've become big fans of yours. So uh, thank you, Kelly. And, you know, I'm surprised our paths haven't crossed before since we have so many things in common, but better late than never, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, here we are now. And that's a good thing. All right, Kelly. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. And now for an excerpt from the upcoming Rock and Roll Nightmares True Stories, Volume 2. This is from Chapter 12, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Almost as fascinating as the rock god is his chosen goddess, the one woman who is desired by the man everyone else desires. What has she got that I haven't, many a pigtailed Paul McCartney devotee wondered when he married Linda. Why her and not me, wailed Mick Jagger's female fans and some male when he walked down the aisle with Bianca. Other wives became targets of scorn and outright hostility from Yoko Ono to Courtney Love. While the perks of being with a rock star seem like the stuff of fantasy, mansions, private jets, five-star hotels, and a limitless checkbook, every rose has its thorn, as a wise man once said. Okay, it was Brett Michaels. The downside often includes infidelity, drunken rages, stints in rehab, and albums that don't sell and may never sell again. And it's not just the wives who suffer. It's the girlfriends, boyfriends, employees, and hangers-on. These planets in a rock star's orbit can sometimes find themselves void of gravity and spinning helplessly into outer space while the object of their affection moves on to the next, or worse. Includes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at Rock and Roll Nightmares Books. That's B O O K S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time.